0: Hello and welcome back to Cinema Adventure. We're a movie podcast where every Monday we sit down and have a discussion about a movie. Could be an old movie, could be a new movie, could be a movie we're really confused about. Sometimes we have a guest on. We talk about movies with the guest. This week, Blake's going to tell you what we're talking about. Oh, I'm
1: going to tell you what an honor. Okay. We're talking about this year's Blade Runner 2049 directed by, how do you say it, Denis Villeneuve? Is that right? Denis the I, can't, I don't want to say it like that. I'm gonna sound really pretentious. Come on, just do it. The no, no, okay, that's I, fine. I it's fine. <laughs> okay, but yes, that's what we're talking about because we recently talked about the OG Blade Runner, so very fitting to talk about the new. It's it's sequel. I don't want to say the new Blade Runner because it's a continuation, but exciting movie.
0: Let's just go over a few of the people who are in it. Ryan Gosling's in it. Ryan, One of my favorites.
1: Freaking Ryan. Yep, he plays K. Plays K. Patasio. Also known as Joe. Oh, yeah, K, Joe, Potassium, whatever you want to call him. Whatever Are you making
0: good. like a veiled chemistry joke right now? Maybe a veiled like chemistry K... joke.
1: Maybe I could be talking about K cereal too. Is that high in potassium? Is that why it's called K? Whatever. I'm just going to move on. You probably
0: <laughs> do. It, anyway. it doesn't matter. Yes, and then there's Ana de Armas.
1: Yes, is that her name? de Armas. Yeah. She's great. She plays Amazing. Joy,
0: who's Hologram, mm-hmm. who is also a main character. Of course, there is Harrison Ford, who comes back as Rick Deckard, and he's really claiming the title of dad in this movie
1: oh definitely he's owning it he's owning it
0: <laughs> mainly because the crux of the movie is that he is in fact a dad
1: he is a dad are we gonna say who's dad? no yeah oh we are yeah yeah we're yeah. gonna spoil No, it we're,
0: we are a movie that discusses movies so i mean we're a podcast <laughs> that discusses movies so There have to be
1: spoilers. All right, fine.
0: Oh, we also get a really, really great appearance from Barkhad Abdi.
1: Yes, fun appearance from him. Oh, he's awesome. Great cameo. I really like that guy. I love when he shows up in movies. Yeah,
0: he's a really, really good actor. I want to see him in more stuff. Yes. Let's do a little bit of a recap of what the movie is. And I want to remind you before we get started... I got already some angry responses from friends and family telling me that we use the word robot too many times in in the first episode well, where we talk about. Tell them to be quiet. Well, they know what we mean. Uh, they do. <laughs> I'm gonna do my best. Okay. To say replicant.
1: Okay, I'll <laughs> well, try. We want to keep the podcast in universe. I think I'm just gonna not say replicant. I'm gonna say robot, and I'm gonna use a lot of emphasis when I say robot, just to kind of rub it into the people that I can say what I want. Okay,
0: <laughs> don't worry, we're not alienating listeners here. I'm it's just an even
1: kidding. split. So we'll just
0: do a quick little recap of the movie. At the end of the OG Blade Runner, as you so lovingly referred to Mm, it, I don't know if anybody's ever referred to Ridley Scott as an OG before, but, you know, there's a first time for everything. Always a first time. In the original, at the very end of the film, Harrison Ford runs away with the character played by Sean Young, Rachel, who is a replicant. The two of them escape. They run away. And uh, in this movie, you find out, that the character of Rachel became pregnant after that whole scenario and gave birth, yes. which was really shocking because she is a replicant.
1: Yeah, or a robot. No, just kidding. Or a robot. <laughs> or a robot, whatever you want Something to Something
0: you it. wouldn't consider capable of
1: birth. Yes, you not, would not consider Since they're not a it. real
0: human or animal. Well, are they real human? That's really what you got to ask That's yourself. true.
1: Classic question in Blade Runner. Classic question. <laughs> oh, no, Ryan Gosling's yes. character,
0: Kay, plays a Blade Runner, but... A surprise twist, which isn't a surprise because they tell you very early on in the movie, is that he himself is a replicant. So he's yes. a machine who's been programmed to hunt down and kill other machines, effectively making humans even more obsolete than You're already pretty much led to believe that they are in this movie. Mm -hmm. So he gets totally entangled in this whole mystery surrounding how a replicant could have given birth. He starts to think that it might be him because he has memories, that he finds out are real from a character named Dr. Anna Stelline, played by Carla Dury, and she's a memory maker who creates memories to be implanted into replicants. Uh, You later find out this is the surprise reveal at the end of the movie. Okay, I'm ready. You find out that that character, Dr. Anna Staline, the memory maker, is in fact a replicant and Ugh. the daughter of Rachel and Rick Deckard. Oh, my God. So that's wow. a heartwarming moment at the end. But
1: yeah.
0: let's talk about some differences between okay. this and the original. Yes. Similarities first takes place in los angeles Takes place in los angeles i actually noticed and well in the original we talked a lot about some of the chinese influence on the yeah. city right it seems to take place a lot of it takes place in a chinatown looking area with all kinds of characters and symbols all over the place the areas that they showed the city the darker parts uh, the more industrial bits had much more of a
1: japanese or like south korean feel did yeah. you get that vibe yeah it was a little bit different i did like about that the said designer just at least the look of the city is they did maintain a lot of what was seen before but just changed it ever so slightly but i did like i don't know if you noticed that there's one point where they kind of pan over the side of the building And there's, like, a huge Atari logo. Oh, yeah. So I like that they kind of kept in touch with what we saw previously. But then they also kind of made these subtle little changes like that.
0: Oh, and and you could definitely tell since this movie was produced by Sony. There were a lot of tiny little product placement Sony things.
1: you got to promote yourself. And, I mean,
0: it makes sense (laughs) in the scope of this universe.
1: Oh, yeah. And also in general, like, I noticed that it is a lot... I mean, already in the original Blade Runner, the skyscrapers are huge and take over everything. But, I mean, I think in this one, they're even bigger. And early on in the film, there's this huge pan over Los Angeles. And it um, it just looks like these – just this floor. It's almost like a floor. The skyscrapers have covered, like, literally everything. Like, there's – you cannot see the ground anywhere up. And it's all just, like, industrialized city stuff. So I think that's prominent is there's just even more already – the world has been swallowed by all this progress and capitalism and now it's even worse it's even bigger right it's and been swallowed
0: you know we talked a little bit in our first episode on blade runner that you're made to marvel at the sights like you 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 look at this grimy kind of horrible cityscape And there's, you know, Vangelis has that music and it's very punchy and emotional in a way. So you're looking at these big buildings and it's like, blah, 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 (laughs) blah. And you're like, wow, that's so cool. It looks like amazing, even though I would hate to live there. It looks so good and cool. This film is great because it's a continuation on the original and they change that. And it makes sense with the progression of the technology. The city may be bigger and flatter and more commercialized than ever, In that it's always really sterile
1: looking. Always sterile, It's very
0: sterile. It doesn't look really grimy. It doesn't look very dirty.
1: Yeah, it's always sterile. It's always, it's constantly, it's either pouring rain or it's snowing and it's never anywhere in between. Always something is in the air like that in addition to all the smog that's everywhere. So really just kind of a hellscape with all this technology just everywhere.
0: One of the things that I initially, watching the movie, kind of didn't like, but the more I think about it, I do like because of the progression in time that's taken place. It's the first movie takes place in 2019, and this one's 2049, and that's that when you when you do see the police station, when uh, Ryan Gosling's character, K goes to it to report to his boss, played by Queen Robin, Robin Wright. Wright. Queen. At the beginning, Queen, Robin so Wright. So great.
1: Are you a fan? I love Robin Wright. I think she she just gets better with age. She's like a fine wine. Like, I just appreciate her more and more with each role. Like, after The House of Cards, Robin Assange, is that a... There's like the Meccanissance, so let's call it a Robinissance, sure.
0: Wow, are then, we just turning powerful. phrases
1: now? I'm just turning phrases, yeah. I Love Goodness. adding songs to things. It's always fun. Wow. <laughs> All
0: right, well, what anyway, I was saying, sorry, just, I'm just such that's a fine. It's okay, man. Hey, it's, <laughs> this is you're allowed to be a fan. So, <laughs> so they get to the LAPD headquarters. He goes to report to Robin Wright. And when you get there, you see that the building is just just gigantic. It's yeah. almost like the, like the Stark Tower from uh, The Avengers or something. It's huge. And it just says LAPD on it. But then you get inside, and it's very clean. Everything's white, very robotic-looking. Totally different from the police station that you see in the original Blade Runner with the creepy guy who's the police chief who tells Deckard he has no choice. He has to do the stuff, right? That whole office is really wooden and looks Americana and... Just it has character, and this one is very sterile and doesn't have a lot of character. And I, I think it makes sense because clearly Deckard and the people he were interact he was interacting with in the original are mostly humans, whereas in this film, most of the people who are interacting with each other are replicants.
1: Yeah, and I like too the difference between the kind of the lead police chief in the original Blade Runner versus this one, just because Robin Wright's character. I mean, I obviously like her more because I'm a big fan, but I like the difference in character. I mean, she's very put-together, her hair slicked back, and she's very matter-of-fact, no sense of humor. But she also has, you can tell, she does kind of have an emotional tie to K. so I like that difference. I mean, she is obviously still very powerful, but it's still obvious that she cares about him, so like, that's a nice difference, I think, too, in the character's. But yeah, that was a big contrast for me.
0: Another thing that I noticed that was a dialogue similarity between this and the original. In the Um, original, when Deckard is speaking with the police chief, the police chief tells him, oh, you got to go kill these replicants. And he's like, I don't do that anymore. And the police chief's like, you got to do it. And... Deckard says, so I've got no choice. In this film, a similar thing happens because K is a replicant and he's a Nexus 8 model. The original, they're Nexus 6s that they're dealing with. So he's a newer model. And the programming of them is that they can't disobey orders from humans yeah. or their superiors. Or I'm, they, It's not super clear. They don't really go yeah. into it or explain it very deeply, but <laughs> they can't disobey orders. And she asks him to, I believe it's when she's asking him to go and find Deckard. He says something along the lines of, I wasn't aware that I had a choice. Mm. which is similar, but also different in context. Yeah. I think it's interesting comparison between the two characters.
1: Yeah. And it is funny too, like just comparing Kay and then Deckard in the original, because they both are having these different identity crises, but they're different versions. Like I think in the original Deckard is really questioning his humanity in general and like, isn't sure, like, is he really human? Whereas Kay kind of wonders if he is human. So it's kind of this different contrast. They're both They don't want to be who they are necessarily, but at the same time, they're trying to figure out exactly who they are. But it is different because they're coming from different sides. And Deckard, I feel like even through this, I wasn't sure. There's always been, like, the rumor that he is a replicant. And I feel like in this, did they make that clear if he was? It didn't seem like he was. Uh, Deckard? Yeah, he's not. If he is
0: a replicant? I don't think that he is. is But the, the replicants in this movie, the Nexus 8s, are built to have as long of a lifespan yeah. as you want. They're not limited to four years like the Nexus 6s and previously.
1: Yeah, I think that's where I got a little unclear because I was like, is he... All these other replicants are older, so like he could be, but I was always kind of battling with that.
0: So I think we need to talk a little bit because we're talking about building the replicants and where they come from. We need to talk about Jared Leto's character. You've roasted uh, Jared Leto in the past. How do you uh, feel about I him can. in this one?
1: I'm so glad there's not a lot of him because I just do not... I This role to me is a little bit... James Bond villain, E. Like, it's this similar kind of has this Shakespearean grandeur, and it's kind of this very calculated evil that reminds me a lot of, like, Goldfinger or. I don't remember his name, but the villain and, like, The Spy Who Loved Me. Kind of that similar, very meticulous, very eloquent evil. But I just didn't really believe Jared Leto in the role. Especially, I also read that David Bowie was originally supposed to be cast in that role. Oh, my God. That would have been amazing. Are you for real? So then I hear that, and I think of David Bowie, who's also amazing, but he's older. And I think this character would be more believable if he were a little bit older. But Jared Leto's young, and so I wasn't super convinced. And it also feels to me just like a performance. Like, you're very aware that he is giving a performance, which I...
0: Yeah, he doesn't really blend in. He doesn't
1: blend in. He he wore to prepare, he's a method actor, these contacts that made it so he couldn't see anything because the character's blind, so we wanted to get into that. But he has that, and then he speaks in this kind of weird... I was kind of saying earlier, it's like an American accent, but it's very overly enunciated, and so everything about it is so mannered and weird. And I guess, in a way, it could tie into his character kind of, you know, not, he doesn't have that same sense of humanity that we would have because he is this huge villain.
0: Did you ever play the the game? Did you ever play Half-Life 2? You ever played no, I've never
1: even heard of that. Okay. Great game. There's no, a character
0: in that game who I, I'm i not going to try and explain like, what his deal <laughs> is, but he taught. he's this weird, omniscient character who appears a couple of times in the game kind mm. of as a an apparition and he speaks in almost the same way that Jerry oh, really? does in this game. But overly... it's, it's even, there's even more pauses in his voice and it's, it gives you that same like creepy feeling. Yeah, I, I do agree with you. I think that he does really, really feel like he's given a performance. But I think it also kind of fits the character because yeah. he is supposed to be this kind of like lawful, evil guy who is in fact playing God. Like, yeah. it kind of makes sense that he's pretty self-aware that what he's doing is probably
1: not so good. Yeah. I think also, too, just my dislike of the character it could obviously just have to do with how I don't like Jared Leto. And so when I see Jared Leto, <laughs> I think I'm just automatically like, I don't like this character. They could be, like, the best character ever, but it's Jared Leto, so can't do it. No offense to Jared Leto. I hope he doesn't listen to this <laughs> and start crying. Um, I don't want to have to explain myself too much to him. I, th- I, <laughs> thought, he was, I thought it was effective for the for. I think the amount For the short of screen, amount of
0: screen time. Yeah, had, the amount yeah. of freedom
1: he had, it was excusable. Like, it annoyed me, but but it wasn't like, okay, when is he leaving? Like, I felt like it was the perfect amount. So. <laughs> oh, man. We're fine. <sighs> but I wish he weren't in it and it were David Bowie instead. And I wish David Bowie were alive. And there are just a lot of things I wish in general. So. And we got to get a genie on the show as a guest, we I gotta guess. It, yep, we got to get it all. I also did like two talking about the Neander. Is Neander Wallace is the name of his character? That is
0: the name of his character. Um, I
1: really this movie obviously has really amazing kind of set design, but I really really loved Neander Wallace's headquarters. Oh, um, with
0: the water, um, yeah, the reflection. The water was so cool because oh the walls gosh.
1: and the entire thing they're all gold, but everywhere you go there's the reflection of like these water ripples everywhere you go, and it just looks amazing. And it's this very minimalistic set, but it just is so amazing to look at.
0: Yeah, imagine that you have. Put on a pair of goggles, and you've gone swimming in somebody's pool at night. You mm-hmm. go underwater, and you can see that the pool light is creating that ripple effect on the the plastic siding on the pool. Yeah. It's that, but in the entire room. But
1: how do they achieve that? Because, I mean, I, it's not underwater, is it? So, I mean, how do they I even get that? that? I don't mean,
0: know. I mean, I, even... I, listen, we could be fooled. <laughs> I want to believe that that was a practical effect. I hope I, so. I, I, I'm almost certain that it was, but... <laughs> in this day and age, that could have been animated, right? It could Totally be. could have been animated. And if they animated
1: it, you know, good job. They did a great job, it looks great. Let's talk
0: a little bit <laughs> about special effects.
1: Oh yeah, are you thinking of a special effect that I'm thinking of? this one that so. really sticks out. And yeah. that is, there's a scene later in the movie where Neanderthal is kind of trying to manipulate Harrison Ford, so he brings yes, out. Yes, he has
0: He has kidnapped Rick Deckard. Yes, yes, he's
1: kidnapped Rick Deckard, and he brings out to kind of emotionally manipulate him, A like a he rebuilds Rachel, basically. And the rebuilt version of Rachel is just a complete CGI recreation. It's a lot like in The Force Awakens when... Um, uh, Rogue One. Rogue One. Anyway, Rogue One when um, Princess Leia reappears young, but it's computer animated. It's pretty obvious. But that whole that whole thing is completely... Sean Young is just brought back to life, but as kind of a computer. Yeah, so how
0: they achieve this is they have an actress or an actor, uh, depending on the role, where... it's like a strange headset device that has a camera that faces their face and they have a bunch of little dots mapped all over it and it tracks their facial movements. So then they take a computer animated version of the face of the actor they're trying to recreate and project it onto that person's face in post. If I had not seen the original, probably would not have been able to tell that this was recreated. But since I knew, you know, it's been a while since the original came out and this Person doesn't look like this anymore. <laughs> At first I was like, how did they do that? That's incredible. It's so convincing. But then when she got a little close to the camera, some of the really subtle movements, like the way that her lips would move and the way that her eyes moved, didn't look quite real but it was so close.
1: No, yeah, it's crazy. I always feel like I can slightly tell when it's CGI, like, there was a character in, I don't know if this is Rogue One or Force wiggins but it's the commander played by Peter Cushing. Um, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, is, Grand Moff
0: Tarkin, and that, he's yeah. completely, yeah, totally yeah. CGI. I feel like you
1: can slightly tell. It's always really impressive that they can even do that, because it is pretty convincing. But I liked it be, the use of doing that with Sean Young in this movie, because, because you can kind of sense that it's fake. It also matches this idea that, like, this recreation of Rachel is never going to be as good as the original. So I liked how it is this kind of fake because I didn't really like that with Leia and Cushing kind of because you can tell it's fake and they're trying to present yeah, it as the
0: real and, thing. And it also felt in that film they kind of just did it for the callback. Yeah. You know? It was really just a callback grab. This one, it, it was effective in the story. Yeah, they it was didn't. Effective. They didn't try to lean super hard on the original for this movie, which is why I liked
1: it. I that Yeah, and just kind of just jumping off the fact that it doesn't lean too heavily. I do like how it does touch on the same themes. Obviously, it deals with that big theme of, you know, what does it really mean to be human? That's always the biggest, I think, question that's always, question or at least kind of statement that's in pretty much every review of Blade Runner. That always is brought up. So I like how they explained it on that with this movie, but they didn't necessarily try to redo it. They just kind of kept going with it, and that was interesting. And I thought two, it does feel like an expansion like that, but also just because it, it is longer, it is a lot more deliberate in its pacing. So it just feels kind of this like elongation of the original in a way.
0: I would almost refer to this movie as a continuation rather yeah. than a sequel, because mm-hmm. it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like you're watching Blade Runner 2, like Electric Boogaloo or something. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it just feels like a lot of time has passed and that this world has really significantly changed and you're just kind of stepping back into it. I think they could have gone a ton of different directions with how this movie went. You know, it could have it could have been something wildly different.
1: Could have been a lot different. They I'm, could have leaned on the sequel thing too and they don't at all. Yeah. When a sequel especially is coming 30 years later, you kind of don't want it to be, you know, just doing the same thing. You do want it to kind of present something new. And so that was... For me, one of the things I liked about it is you do step back into this role, but you don't feel like you're necessarily watching the same movie. You're just kind of seeing an expansion of the original movie, which is, I think, smart of them. And I think it was good, too, that Ridley Scott, who directed the original, didn't direct this one just because it is nice to have a different perspective brought by Villeneuve.
0: I'm happy that he didn't direct it. I haven't been terribly pleased with most of Ridley Scott's recent films. Like, yeah. if you saw the new Alien, like Alien Covenant, not good. I kind of liked it. Uh, I, it just, like, tried to, exp-
1: it just tried to explain
0: everything. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like
1: the over-explanation aspect of that movie. And
0: then, I don't know, people really like The Martian. The Martian just kind of felt like a super, super good, like, feel good, yay America kind of movie to me. Um, I kind of liked it. It felt very, like,
1: a 90s blockbuster to me. Yeah, I I mean, it
0: it was fun, but it wasn't, like, it wasn't really thought-inspiring. Like, I didn't leave the movie going, like, oh, man, I didn't puzzle over anything. I was like, everything got tied up really nicely, and he made it home, and he did a a really good job. I mean, of course, that's what the book was like, so I'm sure it was a (laughs) faithful recreation of the book. Yeah.
1: No, yeah, and Ridley Scott is pretty hit or miss. I think I think he's always been really hit or miss. So I think it is good with this to have someone else do it. And Villeneuve too. I've read a lot about him saying that he's very very inspired by Blade Runner, and it's been one of his one of the most influential works in his career. So it is good that someone who loves the movie as much as so many people do is you know at the helm. I really really liked um, Ana de Armas and Sylvia Hooks's performance. They both. Who did Sylvia Hooks play? She played Love, who is. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's Wallace's kind of henchwoman, personal assassin. Yeah, she's a replicant. Such a great villain, I really like. She
0: she felt the most like a like a Bond villain that you would see in one
1: of the uh, oh, what's his name. Uh, not the most recent, but the Pierce Brosnan?
0: She seemed like a Pierce Brosnan yeah, like like the, Bond villain. Yeah, like yeah. the Xenia
1: on the top from GoldenEye. I was reminded a lot of that. You know all these
0: characters' names I from all these Bond movies. Oh, I can name
1: all the Bond girls who played them from first one to the newest one. Wow. I promise you. I can do it. At least one Bond girl from each movie.
0: Goodness me. Love it.
1: But anyway, I it's really interesting with this movie because in one way you could almost bill the female characters as being kind of shallow because they all kind of... They only really play a part in the protagonist's mission. They don't really necessarily have their own storylines to contend with, but at the same time, you get these really great performances from um, De Armas and Hooks. Armas is playing a hologram, and then Hooks is playing a replicant. They, can, they keep this physicality that reminds you that they are technology, they're not real, but they also kind of have this struggle with I mean, I, less so for Hooks because her character is a lot more evil and commits some of the movie's biggest atrocities, but they both are kind of struggling with this part of themselves that isn't technology maybe is kind of this humanity that's creeping up a little bit, and they both really capture that well. They find a good balance, I thought.
0: Ana de Armas might have been my favorite character in the yeah. film because she she's a, we keep saying hologram. She's an AI, and she lives in the home computer system of K of Ryan Gosling's character. She is complete simulation, but she's the most human character in the film. She has the most like dreams. She wants to be recognized, but she is computer program and she's constantly interrupted by like phone calls coming in. You know, here's a question for you. Do you think this movie would be different if it had been made like the same story, but it had been made pre-internet?
1: Do you think it would be different? I think it would be a little bit different. Yeah, because we do have so much more knowledge about technology and we kind of have this more of a feeling of how technology impacts our own lives so I think that always plays a part in this movie a little more than it would have pre-internet just as I think in the original Blade Runner like technology is kind of this looming thing that you're still kind of discovering whereas now we can kind of see technology is kind of overrunning everything and I think this movie kind of plays into that a little bit more
0: this movie does a really good job of highlighting consumerism you know of course the original does too it shows off all the ads they do the same thing there's all ads over the city for coca-cola for sony for what have you atari even down to how the replicants are produced when you see there's the whole scene with niander wallace and he takes the sylvia hawks love character into the room to show her that he's trying to make replicants like rachel that can create life that can give birth they walk into this room that's just got a big old plastic bag hanging from the ceiling like this disposable object right and then that opens up and a person falls out just covered in ooze onto the floor and that was just it felt like just total commodity right he's you know this he's creating replicants that are going to be sent on spaceships to go off to off-world colonies to work as slave labor to fight in wars to do all of these terrible things and they're total commodities and they just by wrapping it up in plastic, I think it's the perfect way to get that idea across.
1: Yeah. And I didn't realize too until after that the the woman in the plastic is also Sylvia Hooks, which I didn't notice Was at it all. really? It was, yeah. And then oh. I read it and I was like, oh, interesting. Yeah. But too, I too, to touch on kind of the commodification of women too, like throughout the movie, the ads are a lot more in your face because in this one, they they're like projected as these huge women almost like wandering around the streets, but they're I don't know how to describe them. They're like these huge...
0: They're big big projected holograms is what they are. And this aesthetic, this particular vision of large walking, moving, talking advertisements that are on the street is in the, I want to say, 1990-something anime. It's in Akira, or Akira. Yeah. It's in that. It's the oh, okay. same vision. And they also do the same thing with the big hologram ads in the new Ghost in the Shell with Scarlett Johansson. Oh, okay. So it's it's like a, it's a very cyberpunk aesthetic that has been used again and again in this kind of landscape.
1: Yeah. Well, and I like, too, because I think, you know, always when you're talking about kind of a consumerist culture you're talking about the commodification of women always and so this really plays on that like there's one just like a naked woman wandering around trying to and i think it's the advertisement for the model that armas de armas plays but like she's kind of wandering around and it in general brings up this interesting idea
0: since we're talking about consumerism it's very important that we point out the niander wallace character you know he has this god complex, right? And part of that is because he did, in a way, kind of save humanity. They touch on this briefly at the beginning. Some of the establishing shots of the film are of farmland that is pretty barren and awful. When Kay goes to visit the character played by Dave Batista, who's also a replicant. He works on a farm he's making. He's growing maggots that are like a synthetic protein that people can, you know, eat. I think they process it into probably, I don't know, juice or something. Yeah, this is yeah, all conjecture. Yeah, who, who knows what they do with <laughs> it. They they talk about it very briefly that Niander Wallace was the person who created that method of farming because there had been so much environmental damage done to the world through production. They were unable to grow crops anymore. So Niander Wallace came up with this way to synthesize food and so he he was a big benefit to society and was able to i think was that was the catalyst that allowed him to start creating replicants again because they talk again at the beginning of the movie in you know the opening crawl almost star wars style <laughs> that that the production of replicants had been illegalized and that he had to lobby to get it to happen again and it had been something like 20 years that they weren't allowed to be made and then he was able to get them to start making them again because he was able to create replicants that wouldn't disobey orders
1: yeah and this really reminds me this is actually back to the point i was trying to make earlier that i totally forgot you know you do see this all these crops that are that have been destroyed because of there being such an emphasis on growth commercially and you know back to all these advertisements i really like how I don't feel like this future will ever happen because we have this awareness of the importance of the environment and everything but I like it because it does play on this idea of you know what would happen to earth if we were only focused on like our own pleasures and so both Blade Runners are interesting because they both touch on like what if we only focus on that and only focused on purchasing things and enjoying things what would happen if we keep just pushing toward that and forgetting about the necessities that are provided by the environment and other things like that and I like This, because the advertisements are so much bigger. And because you do see more of kind of the destroyed crops and things like that, you get a better sense of, like, they still haven't learned in 30 years that you can chase after something besides things that bring you entertainment, things that bring you pleasure. It almost makes me want to see, like, another sequel in 30 years just to see, like, how much is this world going to— I mean, how much more can you destroy the Earth? And when are people going to learn that, like, what they're doing is ultimately not, you know, beneficial to everyone?
0: Even if another director jumped in. Again, 30 years from now, and made another movie in this universe, I'd be down. I'd be very down. And Harrison Ford doesn't have to be in it. Ryan got another replicant that looks like Ryan Gosling doesn't have to be in it. Mm -hmm. It could be anybody, I think. And this is so strange to me because after watching the original, I would have never thought, oh yeah, they could totally make another movie in this universe and
1: make it work. So I'm, I'm blown away by that. I think that's yeah. pretty impressive. Well, even when the movie was announced, I hadn't even really seen Blade Runner, but I had heard so much about its reputation that like when it was announced, I was like, well, here's this movie that is such a huge classic. It's very it's a standalone movie that can stand by itself, so why do they feel the need to expand on it? And then you watch this, and it's like, I'm really glad they made this sequel. Even if I didn't wholeheartedly love it the same way that I liked the original Blade Runner, it's so interesting to see this world completely expanded on and through... It's the similar vision, but it's at the same time, it's entirely new.
0: I'm going to go over really quickly the shorts that came out before this film was released. So Denis Villeneuve (laughs) had directors that he enjoyed make some shorts in the years preceding 2049 to kind of fill in the gaps. I do like that he did this. I think this is really fun. Personally, you don't have to have seen them to enjoy the movie, but they do add stuff to the movie. What's great about 2049 is it doesn't really dumb down the story for you, and you kind of have to figure out some of the gaps on your own, but these do a good job of bridging those a little bit. So I'll do them in order because they're named after years as well. Mm -hmm. So there's Blade Runner 2022, which was an anime, and multiple times throughout the movie 2049, they talk about the blackout. They refer to this event as the blackout. when. Ryan Gosling goes to Wallace Corporation to try and find more information on Rachel. He talks to the bald receptionist man who says, oh, this this data file is pre-blackout. So Um, that's really old. And you're like, what what on earth does that mean, pre-blackout? It just sounds fun and scientific. It sounds like some weird throwaway line, like the Spice Mines of Kessel that you'd hear from Star Wars or something. (laughs) But anyway, what the blackout was was an organization of replicants on a launch of a spacecraft that was going to take some people off world, they inserted an explosive device that detonated during the launch over LA, which caused a gigantic EMP, um. which then wiped out power long enough for these two replicants to break into some kind of headquarters and access some database. And what they did was they released, or they deleted all of the information that was tracking all the different replicants. So that way, any replicants who are still out there on Earth who were going to be retired or killed could go into hiding and oh. they wouldn't be able to be tracked. So that's what the blackout effectively did. Interesting. That's why at the beginning of the film, Ryan Gosling is going to track down Dave Batista. He's one of the replicants who oh. was able to hide uh, when his ra- information was erased during the blackout. Oh. So that's what the blackout is. That was in 2022. So that happened almost 30 years before. So he'd been hiding for a long time. Then there's 2038... Oh, 2036. 2036 Nexus Dawn is what the other one is called, and this one is just all about Jared Leto, your very favorite. He walks into a room, <laughs> he brings a replicant in. This is still during the prohibition of replicants, and he talks to a committee of lawmakers, and he convinces them to legalize the making and producing of replicants because he brings one in and he tells it, he basically shows that he can control it with his voice and tell it what to do and it'll obey his orders. He instructs it to kill itself and it slices its own neck in front of these people. And there's this one woman who's one of the Congress people and she's like, oh, like so impressed. And it's really (laughs) grotesque. And then the last one is 2048. It's called 2048, Nowhere to Run. And this one is all about Dave Batista's character. Uh, It's just about him. He goes to this big marketplace and he's talking to this young girl and he has... Uh, a book that he's brought with him. It's the book, uh, The Power and the Glory is the book. It seems like books are kind of a rare commodity in this world, just kind of because of how excited she is. But he goes into a shop to sell one of his weird maggots that he grows to make protein. He comes back out and he sees that there's four guys who are harassing the young woman and her mother. And basically he kills all four of them. (laughs) Wow. <laughs> like, very brutally murders them, and then as he's leaving, you see a character on a telephone, like, reporting him to the police. Um. And that happens a year before 2049, so that happens, and then he goes into hiding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, you feel for him, because he's clearly replicant, but he does this action to save a human. Like, he makes a choice to help somebody out, and you, I felt more sympathy for his character, because it seemed like when Ryan Gosling arrives at his place in the movie, it's like, oh, okay, so he came for you, and you said that you'd just be chill, but then you had to bash yourself through a wall and do all this stuff. Well,
1: I don't know. I felt bad for him even in the movie just because, I mean, you do feel like he's not really causing any major harm and then Ryan Gosling shows up and is like, hey, 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 like, I'm gonna ruin your life, basically. It's like, oh, that's not
0: fair. I felt, I, okay, I didn't feel no sympathy in the movie. I felt more sympathy after watching the short. I'll oh, say that. Okay. I think the shorts are worth watching, especially yeah. the anime one. Okay, it's really, up. really cool. Yeah, yeah, very beautiful animation. Gives another cool look at the city.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's good stuff. Also, I did want to mention, I think my favorite scene in the movie that we haven't talked about yet is I really love... I read about it before and I wasn't sure what to think, but there is a threesome, quote-unquote threesome oh, scene yeah. in the movie. Oh, yeah! That is the, mo- it's the most... like mind-boggling special effects I've seen in a long time. So in this scene, Kay, he comes home, and De Armas is waiting for him, basically. And with her is this prostitute that he had kind of met earlier on the street, but didn't really do anything with at all. And she's um, played
0: by Mackenzie Davis. Yeah, who was
1: also in The Martian. I also think she's very underrated. I've seen her in a couple things, and she is a very strong actress, so I'm glad to see her in this. But anyways, De Armas, she kind of has obviously these this romantic feeling for Gosling, but because she is Uh, a a hologram she isn't able to really make any physical contact with him at all and so she tells him that she wants to be real for him and so they basically do this thing where she tries to almost sync up with the prostitute and make it so that she can like sleep with him even though she's like it's really strange yeah so she she goes over her yeah like like inside the prostitute. it's so it's incredible the way it's shot you don't even notice that it's gonna be, it's incredible. And I
0: think it's also worth noting that he runs into the prostitute earlier in a marketplace and she walks up to him and she's propositioning him. And he's just like, I'm busy. Like, I'm trying to solve a mystery. Can't you see that this is what's happening in the movie? Mm-hmm. And and she says, oh, I see. You don't like real girls. And then she walks <laughs> away. But then you find out at the end of the movie that she's also a replicant. She's yeah. part of that replicant movement. Yeah. So the whole line between human and replicant it's is so blurred. totally blurred.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but that yeah. scene alone is almost, for me, like worth the price of admission just to like, it's it's so rare nowadays to like have your mind blown by special effects because they have become so ubiquitous with cinema in general. So to see this thing that you've never seen before, it's so cool. And it's not what you, like, I don't know why. I kind of expected this weird, like, sex scene, like, ooh, like, reading about it before. Yeah, and there's no
0: explicit nudity but in no the explicit scene. Nudity. And it's, it's not just... graphic or gratuitous. No. It's, it's touching. And, and it's crazy that you find it touching because it's it's this love scene that happens between a hologram and, pardon my French, yeah.
1: robot. Oh, wow. It's wild. You said it. Yeah, no, it's crazy. It's, it's super, super cool. A lot of this movie, I mean it does have once in a while these very big just kind of visual thrills, but this is I think takes the cake for me as far as the coolest things about the movie.
0: Do you want to talk about colors a little bit? Do you want to talk about sure. colors? What with do you me? want to say about I colors? I want to say <laughs> that I love the shift when Ryan Gosling goes to find Harrison Ford and mm-hmm. he goes out to the irradiated zone, right? And everything it's this you go from pretty blue, kind of some pinks, kind of color tones, a lot of yellow to suddenly bam Everything is orange. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and he walks through this weird abandoned area full of these big nude statues. And then he ends up in the casino. And I thought, this is this is another thing I think is super interesting, is all of the stuff that is the most human looking, the stuff that has the most classical kind of human culture, is abandoned. Yeah. It's all left behind. Like that casino has clearly been empty for years. It's dusty. It's just one dude in there with his replicant dog. and Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. all interesting to me, too, because it does, yeah, represent this kind of, this former version of humanity in a way, but it has that, and then to also have these kind of nude statues everywhere that are a little bit sexualized, it kind of represents it like, everyone got their pleasures here, now they've moved on, and so that's interesting to see that contrast between kind of what the world is now versus what it used to be. But yeah, that whole, and the way that's shot too, uh, I should mention the movie is photographed by Roger Deakins, who's one of the best cinematographers of all time. But this is, I mean, I think he's probably going to win the Oscar for this. He's always done amazing work, but it's never been as mind-blowing as it is in 2049. It's just this, he does every really everything. But I this want movie. him to
0: win, but I'm not holding out hope. Oh, I feel it. Like, I mean, he's been nominated several The Academy several doesn't like times.
1: sci-fi. That's true. I know this movie makes me a little bit nervous because it should be nominated for Oscars, but yes. you never really know exactly. Because I know like Mad Max wasn't really that loved even though that was like one of the best movies of 2015, so you never can really say what the Academy wants.
0: You know what I think it's time for? What's it time for? A fun facts with Blake. Oh, fun a fun facts with Blake. facts with Blake. Oh, great. Fun facts with Blake. Come well, on, Blake. Is, tell me some fun it's facts. Very long.
1: I guess I'll try it. So I guess I'll tie into Roger Deakins. If people haven't really heard of him, he has been like the lead cinematographer in pretty much all the Coen brothers' movies. So if you really like the look and style of their movies, especially their newest movie, Hail Caesar, which is beautiful. Like that's where you can kind of see his older work. So he's very, he can kind of do it all. He's usually very fluid, whereas this one is a lot more static and it is very, a little more contemplative in everything it does. So it is a good showcase for him, obviously. Kind of going back into the fun facts, this movie, people have been wanting to do a sequel since about like 1999. There's been like a couple different scripts that had been passed around But it had never really picked up. It's kind of the same thing with the first Blade Runner. People were interested in making it, but they just didn't really know how to approach it necessarily. And so Ridley Scott, around 2007, considered doing it, but then it kind of fell through, and then later on, like, Denis Villeneuve took over, and then, you know, the rest is history, obviously. (laughs) Um, And then speaking of Villeneuve, he says that he intends the movie to be a sequel to the director's cut. He totally disregards the theatrical cut, and same with Harrison The director's cut
0: or the final cut? Oh, frick.
1: Whichever one is more respected, I guess. Okay, it's the
0: final cut. The final
1: cut. Okay, yeah, and then same thing with Harrison Ford. Like Harrison Ford like wants to pretend that the theatrical cut doesn't even exist. Like He's very gung-ho for which, the final cut, which isn't I surprising. have to call out
0: Harrison Ford here <gasps> because the dude is in Star Wars, the, movie, the <laughs> movie series that has been the most messed with of all mm-hmm. time, the movie series that has been edited and re-edited a thousand times to the point of just unrecognizability in some ways. And when people ask him about that, they're like, so Harrison, you know, who shot first? What's the deal? He's like, I don't care. I don't want to talk about it. So it's hilarious to me that for this, he's like, oh, well, of course the final cut is the most expert style all right, Harrison. Harrison can do
1: whatever he wants. Yeah, he okay, yeah, you're heart, right. Really, yeah, he's, truly,
0: <laughs> he is a very uh, special
1: man. He's so amazing. And I did I send you like all his Halloween costumes that he does with his wife, Calista Flockhart? Uh, no. Oh, really? I thought I did.
0: Okay, uh, I think I sent you one over We text. will put some pictures of Harrison Ford yes. in Halloween costumes in our uh, yeah. description There's of this actually episode. An so, entire... so scroll down. <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's an entire BuzzFeed article just dedicated to all his different Halloween costumes. They're (laughs) pretty amazing, and I had no idea that he even... Did that, so that's very entertaining. I guess back, I feel like I said a lot of these fun facts just during the podcast, so that's a bummer. In the opening scene where Ryan Gosling confronts Dave Bautista, actually storyboarded to be in the original Blade Runner, but it didn't actually make it in, and so that's why it is in the new movie, is they found a better way to incorporate it. So I had no idea, that's very interesting. One of the short films is also directed by Ridley Scott's son Luke, so there's kind of that. I think he did 2036, I want to say. I'm not totally positive on that one. Another fun fact is during the fight scene, uh, which takes place at the casino, which is also a very cool fight scene in general, because it incorporates these holograms of Elvis and Marilyn Monroe as kind of these onstage spectacles that go on during the scene. But during that, Harrison Ford, who punches Gosling repeatedly during the scene, is supposed to be fake, but one of the times he actually did hit him, And so that caused this big injury. I think he bought in some fine liquor afterwards uh, (laughs) to make up for that. But yeah, those are all the fun facts I really have. I'm going to add
0: one fun fact. (gasps) Since you mentioned one of the directors of the shorts, I have to mention that the anime short that I've been gushing over this whole time was directed by Shinichiro Watanabe, who is the director of Cowboy Bebop, which is one of the most influential animes ever. So if you like that and you want to see some more good cyberpunk visuals, mm, watch Blackout 2022. Any final Final thoughts? Yeah, final final (laughs) thoughts? (laughs) Wow! Okay. Um, Yeah, simultaneous. (laughs) Final thoughts. Well, I certainly hope to watch this movie again someday. I would like to watch it again, and I got lost in it the first time. I want to watch it and try and figure out as much as I can about it. I feel like I'd understand it better the second time. Yeah. So I personally really love this movie. I didn't so much love it when I was walking out of the theater. I was just kind of like, that was intense, just kind of hard breathing. I was like, I liked it, but whoa. But the more I think about it, the more I like it. So I want to see it again.
1: What yeah, I kind of feel the same way too. Because I think until I think by the end of this episode, I like it a lot more now that I've kind of been able to say my various thoughts on it. Yeah, I think when I watched it, I wasn't. I didn't really know what to make of it. I feel like this pacing is very slow and very deliberate, and so sometimes it would be a little bit tedious for me. Even though there are these really amazing visual thrills and these really interesting thematic ideas. But I think talking through it definitely helps. And I think even though like this movie isn't always necessarily just this very entertaining, very easy sci-fi movie, it's one of the better experiences I've had in the theaters recently. Just this amazing, obviously I watched the original Blade Runner, but I think this is definitely a movie you need to see in theaters. It's not something you want to watch on your phone or even like, even if you have a big TV at home, you want to watch this in the theater and have that experience. To and see this movie, I'd say if you're
0: gonna watch this at home, make sure you wear some headphones. Yeah, do something. And that, you know,
1: you gotta be just figure immersed. out a
0: way. Make sure you can get all those sounds in a real, real good way all around you. Yeah,
1: seriously. But yeah, even so, if you go and it is a little bit tedious, like I honestly think that's fine. Like I think there's so much this movie has to offer that most sci-fi movies aren't offering today that it is worth it. Similarly to the original Blade Runner, you know, it is unlike anything, you know, surrounding it. So definitely. Watch, watch it. I think I do relate to, there's this quote I always go back to. Randomly, it's like the opening line from this review of The Danish Girl by Christy Lemire on Roger Ebert's website. This is so random. But I kept thinking of it while I was watching it where she asked the question if a movie can be like impeccably made. I'm paraphrasing here. Like, can a movie be impeccably made, be like very well cast and well acted and flawlessly shot and made and still leave you just a little bit cold and alienated? And I felt that way a lot throughout Blade Runner. It is... Very cool to look at and think about, but at the same time, you're not totally immersed with it. You're not totally in love with it. So I think that, is, that could be a problem for some viewers. It was for me. Do you um, know why
0: this is a problem for you? Why is it a problem for me? Aiden? Because this movie was made for replicants. Oh, are this you a replicant movie, This movie wasn't made for humans.
1: I guess you're right.
0: It, it's or robots. Right, but that's the progression of the film, right? The first film, the original Blade Runner, is about a man who falls in love with a machine. And that's weird. Yeah. That's Why is this so believable? And then this film is about a machine falling in love with an even more abstract machine. And the machine, the original machine, Ryan Gosling, thinks that he is a human. It's just the next step. Yeah. So, you know, maybe the next movie will be about an AI falling in love with who a line knows? of code. Who
1: knows? It could be anything. I think it probably could, honestly. <laughs> maybe even be similar to the Spike Jones movie Her. You never know. All right, is there any recommendations you would have for people who liked this movie? Well,
0: I would like to recommend the Spike Jones movie Her.
1: Oh wow, look at it. your Thunder. Yep.
0: Yeah. yeah, so I'd say Her and in the vein of smart sci-fi that's fun. I'd say watch her, and I'd say watch Ex Machina. I think Mm. Ex Machina Machina and this film have a lot in common. Ex Machina's great. If you enjoyed Denis Villeneuve's style, I'd say watch Arrival, some more fun sci-fi. I wrote verbatim in my notes, iRobot dot 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 maybe...
1: I haven't seen that. It's been
0: a long time since I've seen it. Uh, it <laughs> if if you watch it and it's trash, you know, I'm sorry. I liked it as a kid because it had Will Smith and he got to fight robots and be friends with a robot and I thought that was pretty dope. But it's a movie that's based on an Isaac Asimov story about a machine that makes decisions to help humans or machines that make decisions to hurt humans. And there's this overlooming AI that controls a whole city that's, yeah, it's great. Wow. Or maybe it it's bad. I don't know. I liked it. It
1: sounds pretty good. I'm sure it's good. And then We're the last
0: the last film I'd like to recommend is the movie Stalker, which is a Russian oh. movie. Have you seen Stalker? I haven't seen. Ooh, Stalker. I haven't see seen Stalker. Any of bad director's if movies. you want to see something that's pretty dystopian, that it doesn't have anything to do with robots, it's just kind of out there. Long, it's over three hours long. Oh, sci-fi. I'm out. Yeah. Okay. Lost Blake. <laughs> if you're if you're into sitting around for three hours and getting <laughs> lost in some really depressing Russian <laughs> sci-fi, watch Stalker.
1: That was such a good promo.
0: Yeah, thanks. Over
1: three hours, Russian sci-fi that's depressing. <laughs> Sounds good. Depressing
0: as heck. <laughs> hey, the first like half hour of the movie's in sepia tone, so oh, hey, wow. it's got that going for it.
1: Has so much going for it. Yeah. I think I feel like the movies that I would have recommended this, and I recommended in the last episode involving Blade Runner. So I only really have like three, and I just went on kind of the Denis Villeneuve thing, and then as well as Roger Deakins. So as far as Villeneuve, I didn't love Arrival that much. I liked. Uh, the movie he made the previous year, Sicario, which is kind of just this straightforward thriller about the war on drugs that super, super good, very well acted. Great performances by Emily Blunt and Benicio Del Toro. Definitely worth checking that out. Completely different style, but I think it shows his versatility as a director. And then as far as Roger Deakins's best cinematography best works of cinematography, I should say. I kind of went with two of his Coen Brothers movies. Uh, I picked The Hudsucker Proxy, which is this corporate satire that has this very energetic, frenetic camera style that it really suits the movie's screwball humor well. So I think that, like Sicario is with, in comparison to Blade Runner, it's a total opposite from that so that's interesting and then he also was a cinematographer for the big lebowski which i'm sure you've already seen because it's like the best movie ever but um definitely check that out that one i think too has really good cinematography but it's very sad it's people don't really think about it as being a very visually great movie but it has a lot of interesting shots so definitely check those out those are my recommendations for today
0: (laughs) all right i have a special announcement oh catch us tomorrow for some spooky times (gasps) we're gonna be talking about (laughs) The movie Halloween, Ooh. directed by John Carpenter, on Halloween.
1: Isn't that fitting? It's yeah. Perfect. So you get, you'll get you'll get.
0: Well, of course. You'll, we? you'll get two days in a row of our lovely voices in your ears.
1: That's a good thing. Um,
0: thank you very much for listening. If you want to reach us to tell us all the things we said that were incorrect about this movie, you can write us a strongly worded email to gmail.com you can find us both on Twitter. If you want to listen to more of us, we're on UWPodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. Subscribe on iTunes.
1: Yes, Apple Podcast. Said.
0: Excuse me. Uh, look, Do you have something under your eyelid there? What is that? I don't know. What is it? I'll pull it down. Is pull it, pull it like down. a
1: bug? This one?
0: Yeah, pull it pull it down a little bit. Oh, NX4097. Uh-oh. He's oh, a replicant. No. Darn it. Sorry, we're going to have to kick you off. We're going to have to call the LAPD to blast you. <laughs> oh, All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.
1: drunk food is like in other places? My name is Dee Dee Madigan, host of the weekly podcast Home Plates, where I ask that question and many more. Each week, an international student joins me here in the studio to discuss their food culture. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday right here on the Soundbite Network.